Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and it's time to get you ready for week 11 in college football. And we've got four people on today's show to help me do exactly that. We are going to start things off with Mr. Relevant, where Matt Waldman stops by to talk about some of his favorite evaluations from the offensive skill position players that he has done so far for the 2022 NFL drafts. We're going to talk QB, running back, and wide receiver here with Matt. He is one of my favorite voices to listen to in this space. He's been doing it at such a high level for such a long time. So getting him on is a real treat, and I know that you guys are all going to enjoy that discussion. After that, we're going to transition to Scouting Report, where Eric Galco from the Shrine Bowl stops by to break down a very talented cornerback prospect that is still somehow flying under the radar when it comes to the NFL draft. Then we transition to Saturday Scouting, where Ben Fennell and I are going to start our look ahead to this week in college football. We're talking matchups. We've got the big risers, and we're also going to look at Dane Brugler's most recent top 50 big board. We're going to break it all down there in Saturday Scouting, and then we wrap the show up with Pick 6, where Ross Tucker and I are going to preview six of the top games this weekend and give you some uh, some fun themes to follow here this weekend in college football. As always, make sure you go onto our Apple Podcast page, leave us a rating, leave us a review. If you've got a question, if you've got a mock draft you want us to break down, big board rankings you want us to take a look at, whatever it is, leave it there in the comment section on our Apple Podcast page. Like so many of you have done this season, can't say how much I appreciate all of you that have thrown us your support over on our Apple Podcast page. That said, let's get this show rolling. Excited to talk with Matt Waldman about these skill position players in Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, excited this week to start things off with Mr. Relevant as I welcome back to the show, Matt Waldman, who does outstanding work and has for a long time over with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. You can check his work out over, of course, as well uh, over with Football Guys. Matt, thanks so much for joining us, man. I appreciate you jumping on with us. Fran, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into some of the work that you've done already on this upcoming rookie class, the NFL draft class for 2022. And we'll start at quarterback. Uh, and I want to ask you, because uh, actually I'm going into this completely blind. Who's the, the quarterback that excites you most? A lot of a lot of debate. Uh, we talk about how it's quarterback boggle, depending on whose rankings you look at. All these names are all moving up and down. Uh, I'm interested to get your thoughts. Who excites you most from this class? Well, you know, I hate to be a downer to begin the show, but none of them really <laughs> excite me a ton this year. Okay. Um, but if there's a guy that I would give by default, um, I would have to say Matt Corral is probably still the guy that I, I like or I'm warming up to. I'll put it that way. It. I like, I, you know, the thing about him is that I think he has quick feet. He's got efficient footwork where he can kind of pivot. And, and run the play action game from a variety, whether it's from center pistol, um, you know, or drop back. I think he's going to be capable there. He's someone that's going to be able to get his feet where they need to be to make those quick throws off play action and as well as being able to make the late turn and throw. Um, he has the arm strength at least to be able to work opposite field, um, with some of the, some of the perimeter throws in the vertical game that should be helpful. Um, and then I think that he shows evidence of being able to layer throws away from, you know, maybe over coverage in, in certain instances. There are some issues there, I think, with him where he's hesitant to do so when he knows that, like, there's a free defender in zone. But when he's got a, if that defender is playing a man and he has to layer it over the, the defender who's playing another man, he'll do it fine. So if he can kind of get over that, 
I think there's some potential there because I think he plays some intelligent football for a college guy who can get led into hero ball just like everybody else and make some cross-body throws at the wrong time. And then if you play soap opera rankings with your players, as we do in the media so often, you know, he could be the villain in the soap opera of his draft status after, say, the Auburn game where he he threw the interception late and and now people are down on him a little bit more when maybe they were higher on him earlier. Sure. And he's a guy, it's funny, like just talking through this quarterback class with people. Uh, if you're a fan of the quarterback said, Hey, like it stays NFL. We need the dynamic athlete that can run around and make plays. You, so you lean more towards a Malik Willis. Or if you're saying, Hey, you know what? I like the more traditional, the pocket passers. I, I, you might lean more towards Kenny Pickett or Carson Strong. I do feel like Matt Corral kind of, uh, he's that happy medium per se. Yes. I think he probably leans a little bit more towards the former, but uh, I do think that he probably uh, more so than some of these other guys, I guess Desmond Ritter in there as well, kind of threads that needle a little bit uh, comparing the two styles. Yeah, it absolutely does. Cause when you look at Malik Willis, I, you know, the, the physical tools are outstanding, but what comes with the physical tools is what happens with, you know, you think of Matt Stafford, who Matthew Stafford, who maybe isn't nearly the runner Malik Willis is, but when you watch him get impatient and try and press things or try and fit the ball into too much because he leans on his arm strength and that's something he used to do at Georgia. And you can see that even as a veteran quarterback who can be play terrific football, he can get baited into that just like any quarterback can when you can get three or four home, you know, on a consistent basis and drop as many as say the Titans did last week. And I think Malik Willis is that guy who just doesn't really understand at this point, how to maturely manage the game. And a lot of that has to do with that. When you have excellent physical gifts, a a great arm, he can zip that ball in too tightly when he needs to use touch. He doesn't know when to just throw the ball out of bounds and he presses the envelope too much. So I worry about him. I look at a guy like Pickett and, you know, I'm still waiting to see whether certain leverage reads he can make, whether he will climb the pocket rather than roll to his right. Now, I've seen some recent games where he seems to be doing that. He's doing a better job of climbing the pocket or avoiding pressure in different ways rather than just flushing right and trying to throw there because that was his kind of thing. And and it seemed like when teams shut him down earlier or tried to flow him to another avenue, he wouldn't take it and wouldn't try and exploit that. So there's some things with him that I like okay. Um, And then Carson Strong, I mean, Love the short game, the quick game. Love the deep game. The intermediate game is the part where you win in the NFL. And I have concerns about whether he can win in the intermediate game at the level of being able to understand coverage that's not in his immediate focus area based on translating from the whiteboard, knowing that it's there in theory. But then when it's time to actually process from one receiver to the next, does he realize that there's actually a defender that may peel off and undercut things? And and so all of those guys, uh, you know, when I look at all those, they all have issues that concern me a little bit. Whereas with Corral, maybe the physical tools aren't fantastic, but he, but what I see, the issues I see are kind of more either normal to minor. How about Ritter? Where does Desmond Ritter kind of fall in that group for you? And how, how do you view his progression to the NFL? I I worry about his accuracy. Yeah, that's, I just that's think a concern. That, yeah, yeah. I just, I just, if you don't have the baseline accuracy at this stage, especially when it's from like one throw to the next and you wonder what it's going to be like, too much of a dice roll for me to be excited about him right now. But that could change. 
Let's go to running back because I find your running back projections to be so awesome and so pinpoint uh, year after year because uh, you always are so good at finding some of the diamonds in the rough and projecting those guys forward. Uh, is there a guy that uh, when you watch this group as a whole so far, with based off who you've studied, uh, is there one guy that really, really excites you at this point? Yeah, and I mean, like, I'll preface it and say, you know, I understand why people could be excited about Brees Hall. He's an exciting player. Kenneth Walker, I've really enjoyed watching his game. And I think that, you know, there's a lot to really like about him. Um, and, you know, so when I think about those guys, um, you know, the, they're, they're fascinating. And I think I will probably, I'll, I'll roll with Walker at this point and say, okay. I like the efficiency in how he moves his feet. And it's not just that he can take the, the small strides or open his hips efficiently so that he's not wasting space. But when he has to make a dynamic movement, he's looking ahead. You can see that he sees a level ahead or a step ahead and he can make adjustments that I've seen, say, like Nick Chubb do. Nick Chubb always was very special in the way that he could go through a, a small crease have to make a dynamic movement and already set up the next move. And while he's Walker is a different style of runner than Chubb, you know, Matt Forte was a different style of runner than Chubb. Both those backs were good at being able to be one to two steps ahead of how they moved and they could move efficiently or dynamically. And Walker has that to his game. Yeah, he, he's obviously had an outstanding season up there uh, at Michigan State, but um, you know, just his ability to make people miss, and he does that in a couple of different ways. He's a, he's a fun player uh, to be able to study. Let's go to the, the wide receiver position and so many different uh, shapes and body types and skill sets, and we're going to talk a little bit more, a big picture about this class in a couple of segments from now, but uh, interested to kind of get your thoughts on a receiver or two that uh, really gets the juices flowing for you in this class. You know, I'm just going to stick with the guy who got me excited when I saw him before his injury. And I know that he hasn't had a great season. Yep. And you're nodding your head because you know I'm about to talk exactly. about Justin Ross. Yes, let's and, go. Yeah. I mean, listen, uh, you know, people will from a, I'm not a draft status guy. Like I have all the respect in the world for like your, your regular guest, Dane Brugler, who, who, you know, does the reporting on the draft as a process and how that fits in and what teams expect. I'm more of an outsider who looks at the tape and just says, hey, this is where I think the talent is. And Dwayne, Dane does a great job of that as well. But, you know, he also incorporates the, the process part. For me, I understand that his stock may fall because of the spinal injury. And listen, he had to add weight back on and, and do all this work. But because wide receiver can be such a crap shoot with where they fit, what type of system they go to, um, the things that they have to learn in terms of looking at coverage and, and being on the same page with their quarterback and developing these press release skills against top corners. I want a guy who's shown that he's willing to work. And someone who's had to come back from the injury he came back from and get back to the spot that he did, that tells me this guy's willing to train, he's willing to do the hard work, and he's already faced adversity. And from what I've seen this year, I mean, he still looks like a guy that I would feel comfortable with picking as long as the the injury isn't one of those things where people are like, one hit and it could be all over in a way that, there's an elevated concern with that. So right now, I love how he adjusts to the ball. I think that the way that he, you know, he's played different positions 
this year, maybe not as successfully with some than others, more of a flanker. But I think, you know, listen, are you comfortable with him as a flanker? Can be a high-end flanker in the NFL? I think absolutely with that speed side, size and ability to, you know, win the ball and extend and play outside of his frame. Honestly, like the Eagles are getting ready to play the Denver Broncos. And so I've watched a lot of Cortland Sutton. And I'm thinking back to work we talked over on the Eagle on the Sky podcast, just kind of reflecting back on our notes on Cortland Sutton coming out of SMU. And, you know, he's a big body kid. He had the ability to get vertical, some refinements needed to his game, obviously. But with Justin Ross, you know, to me, like what got me so excited about Cortland Sutton was okay, like this is a big body kid who moves pretty well, plays the ball really well in the air. That's the kind of profile where you're like, all right, like that can elevate to be something really special. You know, it has that ability to be, you know, people throw that number one receiver tag uh, out there. Like I look at Justin Ross and say, okay, 6'4", 205 pounds. We look at what like Jamar Chase has done. You know, when you have those big body receivers that have the ability to be a three-level threat, it gets you really juiced up. So I look at Justin Ross. I'm like, yeah, like he has that ability to be that guy. Obviously, the medical will have a big point in that. And I think, as you mentioned, uh, how I mean, you talk to NFL scouts all the time in terms of like uh, the fight through adversity. That that's something that we hear so often now uh, is people are looking for those guys that have faced some kind of adversity. How do they respond from that? And so it's good to see that he's responded the way that he has. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing. I mean, you you we have to remember that these. Think about where you were between the ages of 18 and say even 29, yeah. you know, and when people say, oh, well, the guy should be more patient like Matt Stafford. I'm like, like you know, when you're 50 years old, like I am, you look back at your like late 20s, early 30s and go, yeah, I was grown up, but there's a different level of like what patience means um, at that time, especially when there's a lot put on you. So when you're in your early 20s and you get into the league, you know, I want to know how you've handled adversity to your budding career, not just like maybe your home life, but also when it comes to like how it's going to impact your wallet and how it's going to impact what it is you've dreamed of doing. And Justin Ross has already faced that adversity when your coach says, I'm not sure. I didn't think he was ever going to play again. I mean, that's a big statement. And, yeah. and the fact that he's playing and he's playing at a decent level and still has the upside to be playing at a very high level with better quarterback play and another year removed, I'm all in. Uh, it's, he's, a, he's a guy that no matter whose rankings I look at, I look for Justin Ross. And wherever he's at, I'm like, ah, oh, that's still a little low. That's still a little low uh, <laughs> for my liking. Uh, along those same lines, my last question for you here, Matt, uh, is there a player, regardless of any position, uh, who you feel like you definitely – are more in on than what the consensus seems to be. And obviously it's a little early for the consensus talk, but is there a guy that you would say like, right, definitively, he's going to be one of my guys when we get to January, February, March, April, moving forward. Yeah. And you talk about the running back position because I'm very detailed about what I look at. I tend to like guys that may not hit that, you know, athletic mark, those athletic markers that people value in terms of long speed and whether they have the great size or, sure. or something of that nature. And to me, all day long, Kennedy Brooks, all day long, because that guy understands how to move. He's got great contact balance. He knows how to set player defenders up within the realm of his blocking scheme pre-snap. Like he, the way LaDainian Tomlinson understood how to run a play and how to bait a linebacker based on how the linebacker was aligned pre-snap or what keys he had to deal with and then be able to maneuver and manipulate it. 
That's what Kennedy Brooks brings to the table. And uh, one of the things that people really didn't like Dalvin Cook a lot, they were split on him because they said, oh, he doesn't make these hard cuts. He's not, he doesn't have the great vertical leap. But what he has all day long is curvy linear movement, which is something that um, Sean Miska, who's a movement specialist who's worked with Everson Griffith way for many years, has talked about is that curvy linear movements that way. Think of like a street bike that can bend around a corner. It's, you know, it's not making a hard turn. It's just moving at a high rate of speed without losing that speed as it bends around it. Dalvin Cook, that's what he does all day long. You rarely see him make a hard cut. But so the, so sometimes those combine metrics don't match the style of the player. Kennedy Brooks is very similar in that regard in the fact that he can bend around people. He understands how to use the smaller movements to set up and avoid contact. And when he does take hits, he has great contact balance for his size. And to me, I want smart runners who are quick enough in the short area have the acceleration you're looking for. The long speed to me is like, I know that there are NFL um, personnel directors who will value that all day long, but they're the ones who are constantly talking about how they need to pick up Rashad Perryman because he's a, he, he's a nice, you know, he, you know, he's going to be a nice bargain and he'll help a team. And meanwhile, scouts and coaches are rolling their eyes, you know, because they're like, he doesn't run the routes that we need. He doesn't fit in what we're doing. He doesn't catch the ball with what we do, but sure. He's going to scare he's going to scare somebody off the bus with his speed, you know, and sure. there's a point and I'm being extreme with that. I mean, Perriman's had a good year uh, at a, at one point, but it's not what he was cracked up to be. And when you look at running backs, it's the same thing sometimes. And I think that as teams get a little smarter with their play, they 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 come to realize that over time. And I think that Brooks is a guy who may not be in, that one of the top two to three backs off the board, though I think he could be, um, but he may be one of the best. Yeah, I, to be honest, uh, coming into this year, just watching all the senior running backs, I thought he was the best, and probably by like a wide margin. Obviously, uh, look if you're a, if you're a good running back, typically you don't make it to your senior year. It's like college basketball. Typically, you're not you don't see that guy make it. A little bit of a unique circumstance with him after opting out in 2020, so he didn't play. Uh, so just going purely off of 2019, uh, I thought he was the most impressive of these senior backs, and this is a guy I think that has that ability. To be, you know, we'll you talk, talk about role, and I'll, I'll, obviously a lot of that is dependent on situation and, and where he ends up. But uh, I really liked Kennedy Brooks. So when you said my face kind of lit up when uh, when you said <laughs> that's the way you were going, I was like, all right, I'm on the right path here uh, with Kennedy Brooks. So Matt, uh, this has been great. Thanks so much once again for joining us here uh, on Mr. Relevant on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Everybody, go make sure you follow Matt's work at Matt Waldman on Twitter. The rookie scouting portfolio, a must buy every single year. Matt, once again, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. Well, excited to once again be joined here by the Director of Football Operations and Player Personnel at the Shrine Bowl, and that is Eric Galco, my friend. You can follow on Twitter at Eric Galco. Eric, uh, let's talk through a really talented corner in this senior class, and that's Jack Jones out west over at Arizona State. Uh, this is a guy that's played a lot of football over the course of his career. I am interested when he first popped on your radar because uh, this is a guy that's played a lot of football out west. Yeah, certainly um, pop on the radar for the wrong reasons when he was at USC and had incidents off the field there, which we can get into a little bit too, but left USC, transferred, went to Arizona State, and immediately became an impact player and eventually one of the leaders of that team. And I think his play as a rotational player and what ended up being a very strong Arizona State secondary 
I think Jack tried to emerge in 2019, certainly took over as a starter in 2020. I think his play the last two or three years has really shown he can be a versatile corner. But a guy that all the talent in the world coming out of high school has had to overcome a couple issues in his past and mistakes he's made and and early on his college career. But he's become and blossomed into one of the best man cover corners in the entire country. So before we get into the, the scouting report, I guess we'll dive into that issue. When you talk about a player that has some of those off-field concerns, we don't need to get into the specifics when it comes to just Jack Jones, but uh, this is a player that you know started his career at USC, uh, was a backup his first year, started all 14 games as a sophomore, then transferred to Arizona State. So I am interested to get your thoughts uh, both in your current role, but then also just from a scouting standpoint in general, uh, how do you handle the, the off-field portion of the evaluation and the valuation of players coming out of college? Yeah, I think I think the character evaluation is super important to focus on what matters. And then what matters is the why. Because as a NFL scout, NFL team, or an East-West Shrine Bowl like us, it's not about judging past behavior. It's about predicting future behavior. And no yep. figure out the why of what happened is more important than what happened, right? You can just say, check the box. Oh, we're not okay with that. And there are some things that are so heinous that you're like, hey, you know what? That's something I don't want to worry about ever in the future. And there's a small percentage chance it's going to happen. So things like sexual assault, allegations, et cetera. And that's not Jack Jones. Jack Jones made a very substantial and, and, and serious mistake in his past. And he's owned that and changed the way he does things. And I've got a chance to talk to people around Jack, talk to the Arizona State program. And I think what I've learned about Jack is the acknowledgement of the stakes he made and kind of how he's grown since then. And, and we feel comfortable with him as an East-West Shrine Bowl. I think NFL teams will feel comfortable with him as a person, as a professional. And again, the biggest reason is finding out the why. And I'll, I'll kind of keep that why for Jack and you know confidential for these purposes. But <clears throat> I think when assessing players and even from the outside, from the media lens or from the outside of the NFL lens, always try to think about what this can be predictive or not. Was it a mistake or was it a, a reflection of who they are as people? And as best as you can, if you keep that lens, I think a lot of times what we see that these guys with major character issues in college, some of them don't change, but a lot of times they do, especially if it's not predicted future behavior. And we, I think NFL teams will be very comfortable with Jack Jones as a player in the NFL draft process. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of it's no different than the on-field portion where uh, there are guys right. that do things in college and, hey, just because a guy was really productive uh, you know, in the Pac-12 or in the Big 12 or in the SEC, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what he's going to be in the next four six years in the NFL. Same kind of deal. And obviously, it's a little bit harder to predict because you bring in the human element uh, to the equation, and that's where most of the misses do come. Everybody uh, in the business will say that. So uh, that said, let's get into the on-field portion. Uh, interesting yeah. scouting report, what you've seen from Jack Jones and how he projects in the league. Yeah, Jack is a little bit undersized, but a fantastic athlete with man-to-man fluidity. And I think his range, his ability to work vertically and click and close in the ball and underneath routes is super important now. I think he's going to be an outside guy who can play the nickel at the NFL level, has that twitch to kind of press and play in those quick slants and, and protect against the wheel routes and vertical plays that slot receivers want to run. But I think his hand exchange, his fluidity, his change of direction on digs, vertical routes, posts, et cetera, are so impressive that he can play against bigger receivers consistently at the NFL level. I think certainly his lack of size and maybe some issues he has as a tackler can be cleaned up and he's not a perfect prospect like most of these guys are going into the league too. But when you have that type of athleticism, fluidity, change in direction, break on the ball, it's really rare to find that in man cover corners coming out of college. And for Jack, he can play nickel. He can play cover three. He can play man in a cover one. He can play cover zero on a bigger receiver. You're not too worried about him on the perimeter. Just all of those things make him, I think, a guy that's not totally dissimilar to a Tredavious White, who is another smaller corner, but has played very, very big in the NFL. It's a lofty comparison for Jack Jones, but he has that type of fluidity to work vertically in the short area. 
Yeah, and Tredavious White is a guy that played all the positions in the secondary when he was at LSU, uh, and obviously a very battle-tested corner as well. Uh, when you look at a corner, you know, every team is looking for cornerback play, and that's the thing that yeah. makes it tough to project the valuation of Jack Jones. We're talking about you know where is he going to slot in this draft. Every team is looking for corners. Every team is looking for corners that can match man-to-man and have those traits, and clearly he's got that, and he's done it at a high level of competition. Yeah, corners are like offensive linemen. You can never have enough, especially in the draft process. And I think NFL teams are going to, every team can find a use for Jack Jones, right? For some teams, say he may be a nickel only and a special teams value player. And if he's that, then he's an early day three, late day two pick. If he's an outside cover man corner with nickel ability, then he's a day two guy that has a lot of upside to be a starter in the league early on. So I think Jack's range is, is pretty fluid based on how teams want players. But again, he's not dissimilar to a top offensive tackle prospect that, hey, maybe he's a guard for some teams, maybe he's a tackle for others. But I think he's a corner that can play in every scheme in the NFL. And for some schemes, especially ones that want to run a lot of blitzes and want to play a lot of cover one or cover zero, I think he's a corner that can play against slots and outside receivers in the NFL level so if you can't tell Fran we're pretty bullish on Jack Jones as a prospect and I think he'll be a damn good NFL player by the way the special teams value there as well he's played uh, multiple co- yep. uh, special teams units over the course of his career and has been a punt returner so uh really intriguing player Eric thanks so much for joining us here once again on the journey to the draft podcast uh for scouting report we will talk to you again next week thanks Fran it's time for Saturday scouting All right, let's keep the show going here with my buddy Ben Fennell as we get into some of the big matchups to watch this week. And Ben, I guess we'll start there with our matchups to watch. One one-on-one matchup that we are most excited to watch here this weekend in college football. I will, uh, I'll let you kick things off for this one. Who do you like here this week? Well, you know, the uh, Purdue spoiler makers, as uh, every week they've been knocking off big teams uh, in the Big Ten. They face Ohio State. I really want to see George Carl Aftis at defensive end face a variety of players whether he faces left tackle Nicholas petit Friere, whether he faces that massive right tackle Dewan Jones, who looks like he's 360, 370. But I actually really want to see how Jeremy Rucker can maybe block Carl Aftis in some situations. In the run game, maybe he's left in pass pro, off play action. I think Jeremy Rucker is one of the top tight ends in the country. They don't feature him a whole lot in the pass game. Does a lot of dirty work in the run game. I know you've studied him. I think if he locks up Carl Aftis on a couple reps in the run game, can really improve his stock. So a couple guys to watch there, a lot of different matchups. But Carl Aftis against a variety of guys on the edge for Ohio State, offensive line, tight end, a lot of good matchups here. Probably my favorite blocker that I've watched so far in the tight end group. Uh, Rucker gets after it. He's a lot of fun to watch. And for certain teams, uh, he will be very attractive. I'm telling Kate Otten he said that then. Yeah, I know that's the thing. It's him and Otten uh, right there <laughs> with it. Um, I will stay in the Big Ten. I'm going to go with Penn State, Michigan. Uh, Rashid Walker is the left tackle for Penn State, true junior. Um, some people are very, very high on. And I think when you look at this matchup against that pair of Michigan pass rushers, whether you're uh, a big fan of Aiden Hutchinson, who some people feel could be a top 10 pick in this upcoming draft or the guy that's coming up, uh, the the junior, David Ojabo, who is very green, very new to football. We talked about him this week earlier on the show, um, but this is a player that uh, has a lot of traits to be able to work with. And so no matter who he's getting lined up against here for Rasheed Walker, that's a really good matchup, a fun matchup for him. And then also for those guys, uh, Rasheed Walker, one of the better tackles they'll see on the schedule. So uh, just a really good matchup there in the Big Ten to watch there in the trenches. Let's now go to our most to gain. Who's a player that could really benefit from a strong performance? I'll, I'll kick us off here for this one. Uh, staying in the trenches, we're going to go out west to one of the late games. Washington State 
going up against Oregon. And this is a matchup I actually watched last year when I watched uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, a guy that a lot of people feel uh, number one pick, number two pick here in this upcoming draft. Going up against Abe Lucas, who um, has been a four-year starter now at right tackle for Washington State. And so uh, Lucas, he is your traditional, you know, kind of big physical run blocking type right tackle. He's not known for his foot quickness, but when you talk about a guy that's got that play strength to be able to hold up, uh, this is a, a good matchup here to watch for Kayvon Thibodeau. So run game, pass game, interesting one to watch there uh, in the trenches out west. Yeah, it's a good matchup. I'm actually going to go down for a little Sunbelt matchup here. Troy against Louisiana Lafayette. And Troy linebacker Carlton Marshall Marshall, returned for his senior year. And he's got a big battle this week against this massive offensive line of Louisiana and their rushing attack. Max Mitchell at right tackle. Osiris Torrance at right guard. Two massive offensive linemen. But Carlton Marshall is just a tackling machine. Sheen, nearly 300 tackles in his career, real veteran presence. Troy has a top 20 run defense as far as yards per game, a top 10 run defense as far as yards per carry. This is a very, very tough run defense. So I want to see Carlton Marshall step up, buckle his chin strap and shut down this uh, 24th ranked Louisiana Lafayette football team. You've been talking about Carlton Marshall for a while, uh, for these last couple of years. I have not studied him yet. Is he a, a pure box player? Is he a bit more of like the, one of the nickel Sam guys? I know he's a little bit lighter. I'm aware of like how he's built. Uh, how is he used in that defense? Yeah, he's been playing as pretty much the Mike and Will linebacker nice. for three, four years now. Now he's undersized. He's about 5'11", and he's only about 215. So he's undersized by stature and by weight. He just doesn't have that length he would covet, but... We've seen enough guys in this league play a lot of good football at that height and weight. We've seen the Stephen Tullocks of the world, and, you know, we've seen um, – I'm blanking on my comp for him right now. But there's been some squattier linebackers that are excellent in keying and diagnosing and that are just secure, reliable tacklers. And that's what Carl DeMarshall's done for three, four years. I thought he could have come out last year and maybe snuck in to the back end of round, you know, round six, seven – late on day three there, maybe just be a camp body, but he returned and he looks like he's uh, returning to form and just still that tackling machine in the box. I love it. Well, let's get into uh, some of these guys to watch late on Saturday night at our prospects after dark. And I talked about that Oregon Washington state game that kicks off 1030 Eastern on ESPN. I'm going to go a little bit earlier than that. I'm going to go to 730 Eastern on ABC. We've got Notre Dame, Virginia, a rare Notre Dame game. That's not on NBC. Uh, and I'm going to take a look, obviously look, uh, they're missing their best player, Kyle Hamilton, the safety. Let's go a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage here with a player that you've talked about. Uh, I know he's in Dane Ruger's top 50 and his big board. That's Isaiah Foskey, who's been an edge rusher. But on any given down, you'll see him moved off the ball and play stacked. He's got an explosive first step. Just a really interesting, versatile player. So if you want to turn on some football uh, early in the evening on Saturday, you turn on this Notre Dame team, you're like, oh, there's no Kyle Hamilton. They're missing the top five pick. Well, keep an eye on Isaiah Foskey, another guy that uh, looks to be drafted pretty high uh, for this Notre Dame Irish team. And I know you like some of these other guys as well uh, up front defensively. Yeah, absolutely. It should be a really fun matchup, but I'm going to go out West, obviously for a late matchup. And it feels like this is just the Carson strong window. Mm. We keep highlighting these Nevada matchups out West. It feels like it was the Zach Wilson window the year before it was the Justin Herbert window the year before that. It's always some elite quarterback to get your eyes on in those late games, but Nevada plays San Diego state. And San Diego State is the better program right now. They're ranked. They have a lot of good players on both sides of the ball. I want to see big right tackle Aaron Frost for the Nevada Wolfpack against Cameron Thomas. 
who is a guy I've, I've been calling the kind of Mountain West version of Aiden Hutchinson through most of the year. They are a tough, tough bunch up there out West. So um, uh, Carson Strong hasn't had huge performances against the San Diego State team the past couple of years. Only 288 passing last year. The year before, through for 147 and really struggled. So Nevada, San Diego State, 10.30 p.m. on the CBS Sports Network. Look for Carson Strong, obviously, at quarterback. But his right tackle, Aaron Frost, going up against Cameron Thomas, big 99. Who do you like in that game? I think Carson Strong's going to have another good performance here uh, oh. and can continue his uh, strong season, throwing the ball over the nice. yard, down the field, uh, and kind of upset the San Diego State team. I like it. I, you're you're a big San Diego State guy, so I was interested. I'm surprised that that's yeah, the way you went. Um, that all right, hurts let's... me, and, I, and I've been highlighting that program for years. You have, they run the yes. heck out of the football. They are a nasty program. A lot of pro style running concepts on the offensive side. Really fun team. If you're ever up 10, 11, 12, find San Diego State playing. They're a fun team. Uh, we're picking that game in the uh, next segment. That's why I wanted to make sure I asked you. Uh, let's go now to our future film focus, a game that uh, we're excited to watch a little bit later, knowing that we can't always p- glean everything off the TV copy. Uh, and I will go with a quarterback performance because this guy's been hurt for a large chunk of the year. And that's Phil Jerkovich from Boston College, made his return last week for the Eagles, uh, now takes on uh, Georgia Tech here this week. And uh, that Georgia Tech with Jeff Collins is going to be a very aggressive scheme. I'm interested to see how Jerkovich looks uh, against Georgia Tech. That'll be one definitely to go back and watch uh, once we get back to uh, to studying Jerkovich, whether it's for next year's draft or if he decides to go back for his final season there on campus up in BC. Uh, what's your matchup that you're excited to go back and watch later? So very quietly in the ACC, left tackle Zion Nelson for the Miami Hurricanes has been playing pretty good ball. It's getting better and better each year. He really came on the scene as a true freshman and struggled. And that's always left that lasting taste in some of the scouts' mouth. But he's gotten better and better each year. They play Florida State. Miami-Florida State is always a fun matchup. He's going to be facing Jermaine Johnson, defensive end, Florida State, coming over from Georgia. All the upside in the world. He's a guy that I really think has played his way into being a first-round caliber player in Jermaine Johnson. But Mm. Zion, really good season out there. The Miami Hurricanes, big roster turnover, playing a lot of young guys. But he's a three-year starter at left tackle. Look for big number 60 going up against Jermaine Johnson. Fun matchup of NFL prospects. Yeah, I actually gleaned right over that one. That is a really interesting one. Uh, Zion Nelson, I know he was like... Uh, wasn't he on like Todd McShay's like initial like top five in the mock draft back in the spring? Like this is a guy that some people... Just speaking how highly he was viewed... He was mocked fifth overall by yeah. Todd McShay yeah. in his way too early mock draft in the summer. So that's a guy that was viewed very highly, expected to keep ascending. Yep. And they may not be competitive in the win total, but he's playing good football this year. Mm. So don't forget about Zion Nelson down there uh, in the in the uh, the southeast. All right, let's take uh, let's take a look at some comparisons here, some player comps, and uh, I'll let you go first here. What's a, an NFL comp for a prospect that is uh, taking the field this weekend? All right, so two really quick throwbacks, and these are two guys I expect to be taken in round one. We all know big Evan Neal, left tackle, Alabama, has played some guard as well. I think he's a spitting image here, Fran, of big Leonard Davis. Wow, nice. He was 6'7", 360 for University of Texas, converted defensive lineman, played left tackle. Yep, played for the Cowboys for a long time, then the Cardinals, Mm -hmm. played in, in at guard for most of his career, but... Uh, was a serviceable tackle as well. And it's kind of a spitting image as far as height, weight, speed, flexibility. Hmm. They're just clones of each other. The other is 
Trevor Penning out there at Northern Iowa, one of my favorite prospects, just a glass-eating mauler out there, just wants to finish every opponent he gets a chance. And I'm looking right in our own backyard and big John Runyon Sr., who played right tackle here for how many years of the Philadelphia Eagles. Also, that kind of mauling, scrapping style of tackle. Really fun player. I didn't know if I wanted to go with like Tony Baselli or Jake Long, but I'm going with John Runyon, uh, John Runyon Sr., excuse me, mm-hmm. our old uh, Philadelphia Eagle here, now working for the league. He's done some political stuff as well. Trevor Penning, John Runyon, Evan Neal, Leonard Davis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I When I did Penning, I think I settled in. We were, You and I were watching him together, and I think I settled in on Andrew Whitworth. I think he's that kind of player, and I think you're kind of speaking to that mold. Uh, you talked with two you know, relatively, it looks like they're going to be first-round picks here. It looks like when we talk about Penning, he's going to sneak into this first round uh, along the offensive line. I'm going to take a look now at a sleeper at wide receiver, a guy that's probably in those middle rounds, and that's Romeo Dubs from Nevada. We talked about Carson Strong and Aaron Frost from that offense previously. Uh, I'm going to take a look at Romeo Dubs. I think he's just a well-rounded player, kind of a, a jack of all, master of none. I don't think that he's got one elite trait that he can hang his hat on, uh, but he's got some verticality to him. He can, he runs decent routes. He doesn't put the ball on the ground all that often. He can chip in in a couple of different areas. I kind of, and that's kind of how I viewed Demarcus Robinson when Robinson was coming out of Florida. They're built very similarly. I don't think Robinson had like a a a trait that he could hang his hat on, but I thought that he just checked a lot of boxes across the board. And that's kind of how I view Romeo Dubs. I think they're kind of similar players in that way. So I have two names written down in my D- Romeo Dubs comparison category. Tell me if you're if you're buying either of these, okay? I'm with you on Demarcus Robinson. Okay. Throwbacks I have in here. Jacoby Jones. It's going so yeah, sure. a vertical element coming out of that very rare lane college. Who's also a guy that can win, uh, you know, as a punt yeah. returner and just sure. has that speed, but kind of a one-trick pony down the field. The other was Ashley Lalee. Whoa, great Hawaii, name. Playing a lot yeah. of good ball for the Broncos. Another guy with good size, 6'2", 200, same as Dobbs, can win vertically, good tracking ability, good returner, just not really used or featured in anything underneath or yards after catch or any quick game stuff. So guys with speed and good size usually have a place in this league. I like it. That's a, that's a, first of all, it's just like great names to pull from. Uh, I love when you pull out the throwbacks. Uh, all right, let's go to our big board breakdown. And as I teased earlier, we're going to get into Dane Brugler's top 50, uh, which you can find over at the athletic, always great material. Uh, you know, it'd be nice to get that guy uh, on the show every once in a while here on the journey of the draft podcast. That said, uh, let's go through some of the big takeaways here and we'll start with our top, with the top 10 and just our thoughts overall from this group and some new names that we're not used to seeing. So let me run through the top 10 and I'll bounce it over to you and just give your thoughts on some of these new names. We've got Kayvon Thibodeau, number one, pass rusher from Oregon, Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame safety, number two, Derek Stingley, the corner from LSU at number three, Alabama offensive tackle, Evan Neal at number four, Ike Aquanu, the NC State offensive tackle at number five, Aiden Hutchinson, the Michigan defensive end at six, Charles Cross, the Mississippi State left tackle at number seven, Trevor Penning, the Northern Iowa offensive tackle at number eight overall, Georgia defensive lineman Trayvon Walker at number nine, and then Tyler Linderbaum, the Iowa State or Iowa Center at number ten. So, some new names uh, up here in this top ten. Ben, what are your big uh, takeaways? What's the number one thing that stands out to you when you look at this ten? This is Dane's first big board. What's going on? Here? Where are the quarterbacks? Where are the skilled players? I see a center in here. This this class is obviously taking a little bit of a different shape than we've seen yeah. in the past couple of years. And I think when you take the snapshots particularly the top 10, 20 of big boards, that really gives you the snapshot of where the value and the positional depth at the top is uh, in the draft. And here we're seeing a lot of tackles, a lot of edge rushers, 
some trench players, and not a whole lot on the perimeter. You see one corner here in Stingley, one safety in Hamilton, and a lot of players that play in the trenches. No receivers. And we had, what, 10 receivers taken in the top 60 last year, three in the top 10, five quarterbacks taken in the top 15. Usually well, there's ebbs and flows in the draft. So anytime you have a high class one year, typically goes back down the other year, and that's kind of what we're seeing particularly at the quarterback spot. So interesting top 10 here, no skill players, no quarterbacks, and Tyler Linderbaum, the center, squeezing in there at his 10th overall prospect. Very rare to get a center in the top 10. We've seen some guards. We've seen some Quentin Nelsons. We've seen some Jonathan Coopers. It's happened in the past. But a center to go in the top 10 would be rare, rare company. But Tyler Linderbaum looks like he's on his way. All right. So one thing we'd love to do, whether it's a top 25 big board, a top 50 or a top 100 list is kind of sparse this out position by position and, and kind of see the big takeaways, the big themes, uh, what positions are most uh, prevalent in the group. And the number one position represented here in this top 50 pass rushers, those edge guys, 11 in the top 50. So just over one fifth of this group. We'll just kind of go through how Dane has these guys stacked. So bear with me here. I want to talk through, I want to talk through the list. And then let's our big takeaways from this group. So number one overall, Kayvon Thibodeau, as we mentioned. Number two at six overall is Aiden Hutchinson. Trayvon Walker at number three, nine overall. All three of those guys in the top 10. Right outside the top 10, number 11 is Purdue's George Karlaftis. Number 26, edge number five, David Ojabo from Michigan. First year starter, uh, really high traits player. Dane talked about him earlier in this uh, this week here on the show. Number 28, edge number six, Drake Jackson. So six in the top 30 for Dane. After that, Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame at 42. Cameron Thomas, your boy from San Diego State at number 43. Logan Hall from Houston at number 44. Jermaine Johnson from Florida State at number 46. And then Kingsley Enigbare from South Carolina. He rounds out the list at number 50. So a bunch of them in that 40 to 50 range. Uh, What do you think? 11 edge rushers here in the top 50 for Dane. Yeah, that's a very deep positional group at the top, but it gets deeper as you get through the middle of the draft. And as much as you're rifling off these 10 names, I could very quickly knock out another 10 names like Nick Benito and Eva Cady and Sam Williams. Where's Maje Sanders? Jeffrey yeah. Gunter. Brenton yeah. Cox has all sorts of juice and Ali yeah. Gay and Bowie Mafe. This is off the top of my head of just, you know, draftable edge rushers all yeah. through the middle of the draft here. So I think it's going to be obviously dense here in the 40s and the 50s. I think if Dane put out his top 100, it would be equally dense in the right. 50s, 60s, and 70s. So I think rounds two, rounds three, yeah. early day three. It's going to be a run on edge rushers all over the place. And the other takeaway, Fran, all sorts of shapes and sizes. I was just going to say that. Yep. Skill sets. No and, doubt. Man, if you want a short, rocked up, stumpy one, there's there. There's skinny and length guys. There's power players. There's speed players. There's raw players. There's overly experienced players. All sorts of shapes and sizes here for any scheme or need that you have with your defense here. So even if you have a good edge rusher on your team, your NFL team right now, It's not enough. You need more. Keep adding to the trenches. Keep adding players that get after quarterbacks. And as always, as we always talk about, it's going to come to every team is going to view this group so much differently because of all of those different skill sets and how they deploy their guys up front. If you're a multiple front scheme, if you're a pure three, four, if you're a poor, a pure four, three, you're going to be looking at different traits and different body types. All those things are going to help determine how you view this class. And some of the guys are going to be on high on some boards and then they might be completely off other teams boards just from a pure off the on field standpoint. So something to keep in mind, obviously when you talk about these deep groups of players, uh, always fun to watch. Uh, you alluded to the fact 
four offensive tackles in the top eight. And then that kind of brings me back to 2013, where we saw three offensive tackles go in the top four. Now, only two of those three really hit. I guess you could, so you could probably say that uh, that Eric Fisher, who went number one, he hit. Luke Joko went number two. He, he did not uh, live up to that expectation. And then obviously Lane Johnson going number four to the Philadelphia Eagles uh, hit as well. But uh, that, that kind of, this group kind of brings me back to that discussion. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's some really intriguing plug-and-play tackles right now. And a lot of tackle-guard hybrids, I think, is going to be a big part of the conversation yeah, this year, sure. whether it's Evan Neal and Aquanu and guys he has pegged in the top 10, or that next tier, whether it's Zion Johnson, whether it's Darian Kennard, who I think he has in the top 50, but as a guard, who's been the right tackle at Kentucky for years. So there's a yep. couple guys that are there's the conversation is just getting started. You know, Thayer Munford played left tackle, good ball for Ohio State for three years, now playing left guard for Ohio State. So a lot of guard tackle hybrids that the conversation is really just starting with, with where you want to play them. And that may affect their positional value. If they view them as a guard, maybe that doesn't make them as coveted uh, based on how teams view each position. So I think the offensive line group this year is a lot of fun to go through. So let's go through the wide receiver position because honestly, it's a lot of the same things we discussed with the edge rushers. I think you could say it about the receivers as well. And I think, uh, I know that you recently have been uh, doing some work on kind of creating your stack of wide receivers uh, and just how you rank these guys. Let's just go through uh, the six guys that made it into the top 25 for Dane. First one doesn't come until number 17. So from 17 to 25, you've got six guys in those, what's that, nine slots. You've got Garrett Wilson at uh, number one, at 17 overall from Ohio State. Jamison Williams from Alabama, he's at number 18. Number 19, right there, you've got Traylon Burks. He's wide receiver three. Wide receiver four is another Buckeye and Chris Olave. Wide receiver five at number 24 is Drake London. And then wide receiver six at number 25 is Penn State's Jahan Dotson. So six guys plugged right into those nine slots in that 17 to 25 range. I, I guess that's the difference when you compare this class to this past class where you saw Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith all go in the top 10. Maybe none of these guys are quite to that level, but you have a bunch of receivers that are still really quality players. Yeah, you know, it's really fun to kind of look at the, uh, the previous few draft classes uh, really how the receivers have gone off the board because it's been interesting. Last year, five first-round receivers – 10 went in the top 60, three went in the top 10. I think it's going to be a little bit like 2020, though, where you had 12 go in the top 60. So a little richer as far as the top 60, yep. but none in the top 10. Right, yep. The, the run really began in the middle of the first round towards the back end of round one, and then day two, obviously, a, a huge run on receivers in day two. That's how I kind of view this class. I don't know if any of these receivers are going to go in the top 10, maybe not even the top 15. Once you get into those 20s into day two, it's going to be a run on these skill players. And it's the same thing where the different body types and skill sets. I mean, Garrett, if you're looking for a wide receiver and you say, hey, my team really needs Garrett Wilson, then you're not necessarily going to be in the running for Drake London, right? All these guys are so different uh, with their skill sets and body types. And so every team is going to be stacking them uh, completely differently as well. Just something else to keep in mind as we continue to see more big boards, more rankings, more mock drafts, uh, how do you, uh, how you stack these guys is going to be different across the board. Let's now quickly uh, touch on the quarterback group. We talked about this class overall with Matt Waldman earlier in the show. Uh, Dane Brugler, here's his, uh, he's got, Four quarterbacks uh, in the top 50, or no, take that right, take that back. Five quarterbacks in the top 50. Matt Corral, his first one. Uh, I believe he had, he had Malik Willis as a QB1 previously. Now you've got Matt Corral in there at number 16 overall. Number two overall, 
Kenny Pickett, 27th overall prospect. He is QB2. QB3 is Malik Willis. He is 33 overall. QB4 is Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. QB5, Sam Howell at number 48 overall. So five in the top 50, Ben, none in the top 15. Kind of how you, it seems like this will shake out, uh, but obviously that does not mean that that's how it's going to shake out in a, in a draft situation because uh, we know how the value of quarterbacks uh, you know, changes uh, when you talk about the, the difference between a big board and a mock draft. Yeah, you know, we had a, a couple of huge quarterback years. I think this is the rubber band back to reality, and I don't think it'll be quite like 2013 where you had only one quarterback go in the first round, and it was 16th overall, E.J. Manuel. Only three quarterbacks went in the first three rounds. I don't think it's going to be quite that extreme, but it's going to be close. And I just there's a chance maybe there's only one quarterback taken in the round one, maybe two. Maybe they're not taken until the 15th pick or later in the first round, like I was talking about the receiver position as well. There's just ebbs and flows with positional depth, and you can't have strong positional classes year after year after year. It's just not how it works. So this is a little bit of the back-to-reality quarterback class. I think Corral is obviously a very intriguing player. Can he pick it on a meteoric rise? Malik Willis has all the tools and the skill sets and the traits you want. And then a bunch of live wires. So we'll see if this order uh, keeps shuffling up and uh, continues our fun little QB boggle we've been talking about. So just, just to give fans a little bit of a look at the quarterbacks that have gone in the first round from 10 overall to 32 overall, all right? So outside of picks one through nine over the last decade, right? Just let's just bust through the names real quick. It's not a ton. So it's Brandon Whedon. In 2012, he went 22 overall. In 2013, we saw EJ Manuel go off the board at 16. Uh, in 2014, we saw Johnny Manziel go 22 overall. And then we saw Teddy Bridgewater go 32. In 2015, there were none, none of them uh, fit that description. 2016, we saw Paxton Lynch at 26. 2017, we saw Patrick Mahomes go at number 10. Deshaun Watson go at number 12. 2018, we saw Josh Rosen go number 10. Lamar Jackson go at number 32. 2019, Dwayne Haskins at 15. 2020, we had Jordan Love at 26. And then 2021, Justin Fields at 11. Matt Jones at 15. So uh, clearly a, a mixed bag there, right, in terms of guys that worked out. Some of them have turned into some of the best in the game uh, and some that haven't worked out. Right. And so uh, I think when we look at this quarterback class, I think it's important for the nuanced discussion to be, Hey, like there's no, there's no guy that's a cement top 10 pick definite. uh, This, this guy's the guy, all of these other guys, it's going to be the beauties in the eye of the beholder. And what are you looking for? How confident do you feel uh, in this player being, you know, turning into uh, a future franchise quarterback? And every team is going to view all these guys a little bit differently, but there's not going to be that one universal consensus top 10 pick. Yeah. And I think uh, you really have to weigh some of these quarterbacks with the available quarterbacks out there as well. No doubt. And who teams maybe think you could survive with or win with, or maybe just be a stopgap, you know, whether it's the top of the tier guys like the Rogers and Russell Wilson's and Baker Mayfield's or, can you win with a Mariota, Jimmy G? Can you go get a young Drew Locke or Jordan Love for, you know, a good value? Then there's guys on the streets like Cam Newton still out there. Does somebody feel like you could plug him in and survive for a year? So I think it's going to be a really interesting quarterback landscape uh, once we hit this uh, late winter, early spring. 
last thing we want to hit on, and this is something we like to do with uh, with big boards, is um, you know, when available, who are the biggest risers? Because you know, the one thing Dane will do, uh, you'll see others in the space that will do it, is, hey, this is where I have the guy ranked now versus what he was at my first big board or in the summer, preseason. So the big risers. So I'll just go with uh, the first five, and we'll kind of talk through if there's one guy in particular that stands out to you. Start off a lot of Georgia guys. So Trayvon Walker goes from um, not unranked to number nine. Jordan Davis goes from unranked to number 13. Nicobe Dean, the Georgia linebacker, goes from number 49 overall to number 14 overall for Dane. Roger McCreary, the corner from Auburn, number 50 overall preseason, all the way up to number 15. And then Ikea Kwanu, the NC State tackle, from number 32 overall all the way up to number five. So some giant jumps there for some guys, some of them unranked, some towards the bottom end of the top 50 for Dane, jumping up into uh, the top 15 overall. Yeah, you know, while you're going to talk about the risers, I just want to touch on some of the biggest fallers Mm. because I think that's important as well. There's some names missing on here that were highly coveted on his initial big board in August. You had Zach Harrison, Ohio State defensive end, number 21 overall. Now now not on the board. Nick Nick Benito, Oklahoma speed rusher, was 24th just after Harrison, not on the board. Adam Anderson, 28th, also not on the board, maybe for a variety of reasons. So, you know, a couple guys there that were in the middle of his rankings, nowhere to be found. So those are huge falls of nearly 20, 30 spots, uh, you know, on his rankings. He did come out with a 15 players he wished he could have put in his top 50. I didn't actually do that yet. A lot of those guys are right there, which, you know, it's just his little asterisks of saying, hey, this is prospects 50 to 65 and that's where all these guys are benito and harrison and epic katie and maj sanders and that next wave of uh elite prospects but always fun to, to note the uh the ups and downs and the risers and fallers um because we always have the receipts dean we're watching yeah especially ben ben keeps him up like pinned up on his wall in his bedroom about you know it's like the, the i have the receipts all over here like i'm doing expense reports all right yeah. i have the receipts guys every single big board and mock draft that everybody has released uh ben's got ben's got them all saved and saved and logged so uh ben this is fun as always and we're gonna continue to break these down every single week whether it's a big mock draft a big big board uh and look we're we're pretty close now ben where we're gonna be talking through the all-star game acceptances very soon we'll be doing doing waves of those because you know with those come uh, in huge waves we'll be doing them on a weekly basis right here on the journey to the draft podcast presented by life brand now it's time for pick six all right time to once again close out the show with pick six where ross i gained some ground on you this week my friend i, I was able to hit my upset special illinois coming through for me with the win over pj fleck and the minnesota gophers uh we split on a couple of games the other big win for me uh was north carolina over wake forest i was able to predict that upset uh you did a nice job picking the uh, matt corral touchdowns over malik willis but uh i was able to pull back close you you now have a one game lead on me after the upset win well kudos on illinois they've got a couple of big upset wins now i mean the rest of the Big Ten West, they are begging Wisconsin to win that division. Right. Yeah. They're begging Wisconsin. They, they don't, nobody wants to go to the Big Ten championship game other than Wisconsin. Right. And the UNC Wake Forest game, man. Wow. Wake Forest is up 48 34 with like 10 minutes left. And there was like five more touchdowns in the game. I'm I I am stunned by just how bad Wake's defense is. It's it's unfortunate because their offense. My guy Sam Hartman, five touchdown passes, yep. two rushing touchdowns, but unfortunately it wasn't enough. But it wasn't a conference game, which is weird. Has my brain all scrambled? 
All right. Uh, it was a, uh, a really, really uh, impressive victory there for Mac Brown and North Carolina. But let's get to this week's pick So we're going to start out west. We're going to go Mountain West Conference here. San Diego State going up against Carson Strong and the Nevada Wolfpack. Ross, who do you like here, San Diego State or do you like Nevada? It was a tight one. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Nevada. Ooh, um, nice. I, I feel like it's I feel like this is their year. You know, they've got Romeo Dubs. They've got Carson Strong, who this is probably is. Like, I just feel like it's sort of uh, their time. And I know they've had, um, you know, a loss to Fresno State, but I feel like this is their game and they're going to win. You've done a Nevada game this year, right? Yes, I did the New Mexico State game. Did I ask you what your thoughts are on Carson Strong? How do you kind of view him uh, moving to the NFL? You did. Um, you know, He's very bright. Yeah. And he's got a good arm. He doesn't move great. Right. Yep. Actually, he's got some similarities, I guess, to Mac Jones. He's more sure. of an old school quarterback. Um, he moves well enough in the pocket. Uh, but he's really bright and he's got a good arm. I don't know. I'm not a great judge of quarterbacks, to be honest with you. I think he's pretty good, but I don't know if he's first round or fourth round. You know, sure. It's weird. Yeah, he's a, a really intriguing player, and I think when you look at uh, his overall skill set, it's definitely something that translates to the league. It's all about uh, what is the upside, what exactly, how does that play in today's NFL, um, you know, and everything along those lines. But a really fun player to study. I am going to go on the opposite side of you, though. I'm going to go with San Diego State. Very quietly, eight and one. Uh, they had, they've got a couple wins over Pac-12 teams this year. They beat Arizona. They beat Utah. Uh, I am going to go with the Aztecs here. Yeah, give me San Diego State uh, in the win over Nevada. Let's go out to the sec big one here an interesting team interesting on both sides you've got lsu who uh gave alabama a good fight this past week and then you've got arkansas who obviously they've had a number of really in, uh impressive wins here this season as well who do you like here in this one straight up lsu or arkansas i'm gonna go arkansas went back and forth on it a lot um they're both coming off you know crazy games hard fought games i guess i just feel like LSU put a lot into that Bama game and I'll, I'll take Arkansas, but it's really flip of the coin. Yeah. I, I went back and forth on this one as well. And it's funny that you say that because I, I was, um, I, I felt the same way that you know, so much energy, so much heart went into that Alabama game and you could tell they were pulling out all the stops. They, they tried a lot uh, to be able to come back and try and win that game. Uh, so maybe a little bit of an emotional letdown here. Maybe Arkansas comes out with the W. So I will go on the same side here with this one. Let's stay in the sec for our over under this week, where uh, we're going to take a look at Georgia running back Zamir white. Now uh, Georgia's got a couple of backs there. Really, they platoon everybody offensively, offensive skill. They've got a bunch of running backs, a bunch of tight ends, a bunch of wide receivers. But let's take a look at Zamir, Zamir White, their leading rusher. I'm going to set the over-under at 70.5 against Tennessee. Total rushing yards for Zamir White. Rushing yards only, 70.5 versus Tennessee. Do you like the over or do you like the under? Yeah, I got to say in general, friend, this was the toughest week for me with the the, the things that you picked. I'll go over. Uh, he's a stud. You know, the problem is you just don't know because of they got other good backs too. So you don't know how many touches they're going to give him in this game, but I'll go over. Yeah, this one, this one was very difficult just because Tennessee is starting to turn the corner. It seems, you know, maybe quietly starting to turn the corner. Uh, obviously a big win this past week against Kentucky that, that actually burst both of our bubbles, but we both picked Kentucky last week here on the show. Um, 
I'm going to go the under, uh, mainly because I'm still trying to gain some ground on you here. Uh, I think when you look at all the weapons there along the, uh, along that offense depth chart, uh, so many weapons there and, you know, uh, we'll, we'll count on James cook to, to bust a couple long ones. Maybe he's the leading rusher here in this game. Let's go to number four here in our either, or the number, this one's a fun one, higher number of TFLs, Pass breakups and interceptions. So some impact plays here. Who's got the higher number? We're going out west to the Pac-12. Washington against Arizona State. But we're going to be hyper-focused on the two uh, on the pairs of uh, draft-eligible corners on each of these teams. So for Washington, you've got Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon. And for Arizona State, you've got Jack Jones, who we talked about earlier in the show with Eric Galco and Chase Lucas. So Who's got the higher number of TFLs, PBUs, and INTs in this game, Ross? So this is a tough one, and obviously a little bit of a uh, randomness here. Uh, which one do you like here for this one? I'm going Washington. Uh, I'm going Washington for a couple different reasons. One is uh, their secondary always so good. And number two, I think they're going to run the ball more on offense, which mm. will give Jones and Lucas as many opportunities than Arizona State will. So give me UW. Uh, I went UW as well. Obviously, look, they they've got all kinds of things going on out there uh, with with that team right now. Um, they're kind of really under fire with their performance this year. Uh, but Arizona State, they've got a lot of players on, on that side of the football. Uh, when you look at their offense, Rashad White is really really impressive. Uh, but I will go with the UW corners. Trent McDuffie is really fun. Kyler Gordon, a really toolsy player. I think probably more sizzle than steak overall. But I think when you look at McDuffie, uh, I think he's probably the best of those four players. So uh, I will lean towards the talent let's now go to our high low well, we're going to go back to Ole Miss and quarterback Matt Corral still banged up but he is fighting through it man and you got to love if you're if you're a fan of Matt Corral you have to love some of the things that he has said uh over these last couple of weeks because he's clearly playing through an injury he's not 100 percent, and he's like look uh, of, co- of course I'm going to go out there each and every week I'm not injured I'm hurt everybody's hurt I'm going to fight through this. So the numbers have suffered a little bit, but I think when you look at Matt Corral uh, and his performance this week against the Texas A&M squad, that they've got a lot of talent on both sides. We saw them beat Alabama earlier this year. High, low, Ole Miss uh, quarterback Matt Matt Corral total touchdowns, so rushing or passing, or A&M's margin of victory. What do you like here in this one? Corral touchdowns. You know my philosophy. I I, I don't like to go margin of victory because there's a chance that team loses. Right. And so even if they win, I think Corral will have three or four touchdowns. So even if Texas A&M wins, if it's a one or two point game, you still win. So Corral touchdowns. I am going to go with AM here on this one. I just think that uh, this is a team that is starting to get a little bit more complete in terms of the way that they're operating offensively. Uh, I know they've had to shuffle pieces around along the offensive line, but when you look at the way that they're starting to put things together, especially in the run game uh, with Isaiah Spiller, uh, I will go with Texas A&M and that margin of victory. Now, Ross, our, our favorite one every week, our upset special. We're going to pick one big upset to win. I'll go to you first. Who do you like here this week? Yeah, I'm going Stanford. Uh, Stanford over Oregon state. I, I, it's hard for me to believe that Stanford is a big underdog against Oregon state. I'm showing some faith in David Shaw and that group to get it done. Wow. I mean, it's not good for their program that they're that big of an underdog against Oregon state. Mm, yeah, Oregon State, they have put out some good football uh, here so far this season on both sides of the football, but uh, that was a, a really spicy one. I was I was very interested in that one as well. I ultimately settled in in the Big 12, and I'm doing something I don't normally do. TCU had that big emotional win last week. Uh, you know, Obviously, the news with Gary Patterson retiring, and, and they come back. They win in dramatic fashion. They're not going to be able to keep that up, right? Well, 
I'm going to go with them keeping that up this week against Oklahoma State. Uh, they are heavily uh, heavy underdogs here in this one, but I will go with the Horned Frogs. They're going to try and see if they can get another one here uh, for Coach P down there at TCU. So, uh, Ross, we'll be back next week. We'll see if uh, we'll see who takes the lead because right now you've got a one game lead on me, but I'm hoping to uh, eat in that one a little bit. Oh man, uh, well I like it. I like the. I mean I like the lead more, but I, there's something <laughs> fun about it being tight too. No doubt. Well, Ross, thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We will talk to you next week. So great stuff this week from Ross, from Ben, from Eric, and of course, from Matt Walden, who joined us here this week on the show. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's content here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We'll be back early next week. Myself, Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler, another member of the Eagle scouting staff. I love those weekly segments there in Scout Stories. We'll be back breaking down everything we see this week here in college football next week on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.